Life is full of what ifs. Some awesome, like what if AI could fold your laundry? And some, well, less awesome, like what if you have unexpected medical costs? United Healthcare can help get you covered with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. They supplement your primary plan to help you manage out of pocket costs. No deductibles, no enrollment periods, and especially no more what ifs. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. This episode is sponsored by R.W. Knutson Organic Just Tart Cherry Juice, a welcome addition to anyone's sleep routine. Pace Case, if you know me, and you do, mm-hmm. you know that I'm yeah. working all hours of the day, all hours of the night. Mm-hmm. So the sleep that I do get has to be very good sleep. And I'm always looking for ways to up my sleep routine. Sometimes I'll read a book to go to sleep. Sometimes mm-hmm. I'll- Out of The Bachelor? Uh, that book keeps me very awake. It's very engaging. That never puts me to sleep. Mm. I will sometimes just put down my cell phone after a long day of looking at a screen. It's nice to get some time away from the screen. I also will incorporate- some R.W. Knutson Organic Just Tart Cherry Juice. It truly makes you go to sleep a little easier. It's the thing you need to help you drift off into the dreamland. Mm. As more and more people are looking to prioritize sleep, Organic Just Tart Cherry is having a moment thanks to Tart Cherry's potential sleep-related benefits and potential to aid in muscle recovery when you get those gains like clues. We're seeing this in the viral sleepy girl mocktail trend on social media. R.W. Knutson has a whole lineup of natural juices with zero added sugar, so you can feel good about adding them to your wellness routine. It's all about celebrating those daily wins. Organic Just Tart Cherry Juice is made from tart cherries, which may help you get a better night's sleep because they have natural melatonin. R.W. Knudsen crushes only 100% real ingredients so you can crush everything you do. Pick up a bottle at your local grocery store today. Creams and serums are made of 70% water, 15% preservatives and emulsifiers, leaving only around 15% for the active ingredients that your skin needs. But luckily now, there's fiber skincare. 15 years ago, the scientists behind fiber skincare started working on nanofibers, which are 500 times smaller than human hair. You know, I I saw that in um, Three Body Problem. Mm. One year ago, they patented a way of wrapping the nanofiber around oil or liquid-based ingredients. This means they can deliver five times the active ingredients compared to creams or serums, as there is no need for water, preservatives, or emulsifiers. The first formulation made with this technology is plant-based, anti-wrinkle. It's a set of patches that you use over a series of seven days. You just put these on whenever you would apply your serums and your skin is going to feel tighter in 10 seconds. And over the seven-day program, it has been clinically proven to reduce wrinkles by, get this, 19.4%, a very precise percentage. In fact... Mm. They have a tighter skin guarantee. If your skin isn't tighter in seven days, they're going to give you your money back. No questions asked. You get the tighter skin guarantee with this seven-day routine. Tighter skin or your money back. Get a 15% discount code by using the discount code GAME. That's Fiber Skincare. 
It's the game of roses. Welcome to the game of roses. This is the game of roses. Welcome to the game of roses. Welcome to Game of Roses. This is Pace Case. This is Bachelor Clues. And today we are bringing you a very special episode. This is our second installment of a series called Game of Roses All-Stars. As you know, in this series, we like to highlight the best players and the best seasons in which they played. And since we are now on the eve of the most momentous election in American history. We are now staring into a dark future, not knowing what is out there on the other side of it. Because America is in such disarray, we thought we would shift the focus and talk about something that's not American at all, something that is, in fact, purely Canadian. I mean, this episode is arguably one of our most self-care episodes. We're not going to talk about the election. Except to say, stay safe out there. Whatever may happen, everyone, stay safe. Stay sane if you can. We proudly present the greatest players from the greatest seasons in the history of our beloved game. These are the All-Stars. This episode is about who I would call the greatest player in our beloved game of all time. She's got a podcast with 17,000 ratings on iTunes. She's got 1.8 million Instagram followers. That brings her to seventh place in our beloved game. She's only behind the top players from the most recent seasons. And she is now starring in the 29th season of Dancing with the Stars on our beloved network, UBC. This Game of Roses All-Star is Caitlin Bristow. She is certainly in the top three players of all time, I'll say. I know you believe she's the best. (laughs) I, of course, believe that to be Nick Vial. And when I say believe, I mean backed Mm -hmm. up by concrete objective evidence. But I'm not saying Caitlin Bristow is... Not in the conversation, let's say. She definitely is one of the greatest players of all time. Quite possibly the greatest female player we've ever seen. Just to give you a little background on Caitlin Bristow and her life, she was born in Leduc, Canada, to Leslie Hipkin and Mike Bristow. Her mom, Leslie, was a ballerina, so she had dance in her veins, in her very DNA. She has a sister named Haley, and in her early life, She took that dance in her veins all the way from the small town of Leduc to Vancouver. She didn't have a real plan, but her family supported her in this move when she was very young, and she began attending several dance auditions, and eventually she became something that is the Canadian equivalent to an NFL cheerleader. She landed a spot as a dancer for the BC Lions, a Canadian football league team. So she basically was an NFL cheerleader. I don't know if many people know that, but she was a Canadian NFL cheerleader. While she was in this fast-paced world of the Canadian professional sports arena, she met a guy who was a hockey player, wound up moving to Germany in support of his career, 
and wasn't dancing anymore. She became very unhappy. She eventually breaks up with this guy, moves back in with her parents at the age of 27, and became severely depressed, sought treatment for it. She was prescribed Valium. She became addicted to it. I mean, she's been through a lot. And to come this far, it's pretty incredible. And she has, you know, we're going to get into her play. We're going to be going through her rookie season, which was season 19 of The Bachelor. That was, of course, the lovable crystals. Prince Farming was The Bachelor. <laughs> and, she, and we're going to go through everything she did in this season. But I think it's just important to know the context of who she was before she came into it. What made the player we're about to talk about and what really informed all of these kind of crazy plays that she did over the course of this season to make her one of the greatest of all time. Can we just go back to one thing that you said? You said she's maybe the greatest female player. Yes, they are two completely different games, The Bachelor and The Bachelorette. But the women's game is much harder. You're competing with, and we'll see, Caitlin was competing with mainstay powerhouses in the game, many of which who have become huge social media influencers since then. Jade Roper, Ashley I, Becca Tillis, Whitney and Britt. Who was Nick Vial competing against? Josh Murray? No. Oh, my God. Who was Nick Vial competing against? Nick Vial was competing against himself. The greatest player in the world was competing against okay. the greatest player in the world. Look, I don't want to make this a whole conversation about Caitlyn versus Nick Vial. Nick versus Caitlyn. Because this is Caitlyn versus All-Star episode. However... I'll just say this. I'll just leave this here. He got runner-up twice. He made it through all of BIP. He wore the crown. He also has a successful podcast. He's also been an actor, et cetera, et cetera, Dancing with the Stars. I think, yes, you're right. The game of playing on The Bachelor, the game of being a female player is a more difficult game because the women are better players. Yes, by a lot. However, the success he achieved in game in my mind, eclipses hers because she only was in one season of Bachelor and then she was Bachelorette. Here's the thing. She's in fewer seasons because she was that good. She didn't need to crash multiple seasons and do BIP to get the crown. She was funny. She was 4TRR. She made all the right moves, impeccable timing. Her charisma game. Can we talk about that charisma? I'm just going to say this. I'm just going to say this, and then maybe we could put this to uh -huh. bed and move on with her season and celebrate no, Caitlyn. I refuse. I don't know if you'll remember on Caitlyn's season when she wore the crown, something happened in week four. Nick Vial came into the season and convinced her to let him in. Then he had sex with her pre-fantasy suites. So if you're looking at who's a better player... You're acting player, as if she had no... No free will in this situation. That was just as much a move by Caitlyn as it was by Nick. Perhaps. This is the debate we're going to have until the day we die, Pace Case. Unfortunately. <laughs> and it begins here. But again, let's put the debate aside and let's focus on what we're here to focus on. Caitlyn Bristow's rookie season. Season 19 of The Bachelor. Chris Souls is The Bachelor. The air date of this season was January 5th, 2015 to March 9th, 2015. And just to give you some context of what the world was like back then, if you can even remember that far back, as we are on the 
eve no. of fucking <laughs> potentially the end of America. Here's what was happening in our beautiful country back in 2014, the year that led into the shooting of Caitlin's season, which would have been November, December 2014. We had ISIS. ISIS became a thing in that mm-hmm. year. There was no ISIS before it. Now, when's even the last time you heard about fucking ISIS? For a few years no. there, that was the scariest fucking thing on planet Earth. Now, I think they're gone, but that was it. 2014, <laughs> ISIS was the big news. Voter turnout in 2014 hit an all-time low, allowing the Republicans, including Mitch McConnell, to take control of the U.S. Senate. We had the Ferguson riots happening after a black teenager named Michael Brown was murdered by cops without any indictment. Sony got hacked by North Korea that year. So that just sets up kind of the context. If you can remember back to all these things happening, that's what was going on in the world as Caitlin Bristow steps in for her rookie fucking season, her first plays in our beloved game. It was fucking glorious to watch. And part of that is because this season is absolutely electric from the beginning. It opens with a live three-hour event. DLH is on a red carpet event that has been set up like the Oscars. Bachelor players are walking around and they come up to a little podium with roses on it where DLH interviews them. This is a full-scale operation going on. It truly was The Bachelor kind of at its height. Certainly, network ratings are sliding at that point, but not where they are now. Network ratings for all things are in the fucking toilet. This is when it still had maximum power. This is when the game had really crystallized. You got the pure format of it. Night one, 10 weeks. You got your one-on-ones, your fimps, your GDs, your fucking two-on-ones. It was a beautiful time in the game. And I will say, Nick Vial was in this era as well. She really got to play the game in its purest form. Now, it's night one. Everybody's nervous. They're trying to make a great impression. At this point in the game, we've seen every type of limo exits. Uh, standies, grandies, blandies, it takes two, etc. And the limos start pulling up. We've seen 14 other women. And some people were trying. Ashley S. puts a lucky penny in Chris Souls's shoe. Ashley I. and Whitney did solid blandies. But no one at this point had done anything truly memorable. Caitlin Bristow gets the 15th limo exit. And this is important because this is right before DLH comes out for his intermission. She's the final dramatic conclusion to the first half of limo exits. And she steps out of that limo. And she delivers one of the most iconic limo exits in the history of the fucking game. She walks right up to Chris Souls and she delivers an iconic standee. I know you are a farmer and you can plow the fuck out of my field any day. This is basically a precursor to Hannah Brown's I Had Sex and Jesus Still Loves Me. It's this good girl gone bad, but not too bad. It's one of the only limo exits that I can remember from all of the seasons that I watched. It was certainly ahead of its time. Still is, to be honest. You just don't see people who have natural comedic ability. That was the thing that stood out for me. Yes, it's a blue Mm -hmm. joke, as they say. She's saying, you can plow the fuck out of my field. She's making this like kind of dirty sexual reference. 
but it was her delivery of it that stood out to me. She's fucking funny. From the first time you see her, you're like, oh shit, she's actually really funny. There's a lot of players who try to be funny or tell jokes or dumb corny one-liners, especially in the fucking limo exit, stupid puns, shit like that. Katrina Badowski delivered a pussy line in PP season that fell flat. We've seen the dirty jokes, but her level of charisma and comedic timing, I believe is unparalleled in the entirety of our beloved game. I will almost agree with you. I'll say this. I'll say this. Who's funnier? Ashley Iaconetti. Sorry. Okay. She's not trying to be. Ashley Iaconetti is not yeah. a, like a uh, an intellectually She's funny, funny person. To you. She's funny to everybody. What are you talking about to me? Yeah, that's why she's got a fucking huge podcasting career and is fucking doing all kinds of shit because nobody else finds her funny. Not as big as Caitlyn. Caitlyn's not dressing Jason Tardick up in fucking Aladdin outfits and forcing him to take pictures on their Instagram every week. I mean, that <laughs> that is hilarious. <laughs> but she's doing it in earnest. I, I'm, I'm just making a, a joke kind of. Caitlyn Bristow certainly is the funniest while trying to be funny. She's like the most professionally funny. From that fucking first moment when she got out of the limo and told me you can plow my field any fucking time you want, she even makes another joke off of that. She plucks a a piece of glitter off his cheek that had been placed there by some prior contestant who hugged him or kissed him on the cheek or something. She's like, who is she? And then laughs about it. You can see that this person... Yeah, that's on the fly. She's ready for television. You can see immediately in her limo exit, this is a fucking star. It's there from the very beginning. And I think the producers saw that as well. You can tell that the producers were already on her side because she is in this first group of 15. And the night one curveball of Chris Souls' season is that they have Chris go inside and mingle after only 15 women. So in a way, she is the last limo exit, which is reserved for a front runner. Those 15 players get way more time than the rest of the players who end up coming in. This night one curveball gave such an advantage to half of the field. It was almost unreal to see happen because they definitely are putting that back half at just a huge fucking disadvantage. And like you're saying, Caitlin Bristow is a part of it. So the producers knew enough to slot her in there. Yeah, they barely even give them any time for limo exits. They all, most of them appear to be blandies. But before the rest of the women come in, we get this night one curveball. Chris Souls goes into this mansion that feels empty with only 15 women in it. Chris fumbles through a toast of sorts. Caitlin immediately jumps in and offers to make a joke. She says, why did the walrus go to the Tupperware party? Because he wanted to find a tight seal. This is her show. Immediately. Clues at this point said she's playing to all four audiences here, which I could not agree with more. It's very rare that you see a player who is aware of the four audiences and who can do plays that are pointed to each of them simultaneously. And here she's doing it. And she's reprising, by the way, her comedic style from the limo exit. This is another kind of dirty joke. It's about sex. It's a stupid one-liner, but she pulls it off again because she's so naturally fucking funny. The first audience is the lead. She's obviously playing directly fucking to him. Chris Souls now has in his mind, yeah, she's funny and she's fun, but she's 
chipping away at his little tiny lizard brain saying, I talk about sex, I talk about (laughs) sex, I talk about sex. So she's also immediately set herself apart from the other women that she's a little more sexually liberated. She can make jokes about this. And she literally told him, you can fucking plow my field any time. So, yes, it was a joke, but that still hits home. Uh, That's a dream for a farmer to hear. (laughs) Then she's also playing to the second audience which is the other players. By making this joke, putting the spotlight on herself, she's forcing all of them to watch what she's doing and make some decision, come to some conclusion about where they stand with her. Do they find her funny? Is she a threat? So she's immediately establishing a level of dominance among them that they then have to react to. So it's no longer a reactionary game for her. It is for them. She's also playing to that third audience, the producers. Hey guys, look at me. I'm the colorful narrator. I can do jokes. I can be the star of any scene you need me to be the star of. If there's ever a boring moment, throw me in it and I'll fucking turn up the knob. And then, of course, she is playing to what is arguably the most important audience in terms of a post-game career. The fourth audience, us, the viewers. We're watching this being like, whoa. Clues and pace. Yeah, just uh, it's us. You and me are the (laughs) only members of the fourth audience. We're the fourth audience. (laughs) It's all of us. It's America. It's anyone watching this show. We're all looking at her thinking to ourselves like, who the fuck is this? I've never seen anybody doing these jokes. I've never seen anybody this charismatic before. I definitely want to see more of her. Maybe your attitude about the stylings of her jokes being hypersexual. You, You think one way or another about that, but. At the very least, you see her and you're like, fuck, I'm looking very forward to watching her next week. I mean, I love the stylings. I also think that she's starting what is probably one of the greatest colorful narrator roles we've ever seen here. She is in one of the first ITMs. She starts describing the limo exits. She's going, props, let the games begin. Bring on the weirdos. She's putting these like charismatic little one-liner things straight to camera that they're going to put everywhere. She narrates this entire season. And you see it almost immediately with that line you're talking about, bring out the weirdos. The producers use that from her ITM immediately to lead into another player's exit. Once we get the idea that now there are going to be more women, it's not just 15. Caitlin Bristow pops up on screen. Bring out the weirdos. Cut to Nicole Meacham's limo exit. She comes out wearing a fucking pig nose. And you're just like, okay. They can use anything Caitlin says. Anytime they need something to cut away to, they're going to use her as that colorful narrator, that transitional piece of media. And she's, again, this is night fucking one. It's not even night one. It's night one, first 20 minutes of the fucking episode. She's already established herself as the colorful narrator, the funniest person in the house, the person who's going to fucking be the most vocal it was an astounding first 15 minutes on screen it was one of the strongest that we've ever really seen maybe sluss is in that category for different reasons she's not funny obviously but sluss had a an equal kind of dominant (laughs) factor i feel like caitlin also performs a flawless mini date here with chris souls she pulls him to have like a little dance lesson where she's demonstrating you know that talent that she has and she also takes off her heels, you know? She She's the salt of the earth. She knows who she's playing to with Chris Souls. He's a farmer. He's not a big high-heel guy, probably. There's nowhere to go in that fucking town where you could wear high heels. Literal perfection this night one. And she's playing to her strengths. Dancing is 
it's just such a great skill to have on this show because obviously you're going to have to yeah. do it on some of these dates, but you can also bring it out like she does here. Just if you're fucking on a mini date, if you're just even in the fucking house, it's something that's visually interesting. And because she has a background in it, she has a love for it. She's playing to her actual skills. She's giving you a glimpse into who she is as a fucking person. And it elicits from Chris Souls this idea. She's teaching him how to break dance, by the way. And he, that in an ITM, is like, she's a firecracker. And you know that's a good fucking thing. <laughs> firecracker is a good thing in the game. It means screen time. Yeah, dancing, you're breaking the touch barrier. It's goofy, you're laughing. And it's also a great way to get closer to someone, maybe not on night one, but to get that first kiss and she tops this night one off by getting first fucking flower certainly first flower is good it is not Fimpros though that honor went to Britt Nilsson who if any of you remember later Caitlin is going to have to face off directly against her in the first episode of their season of Bachelorette to determine who is the Bachelorette that season. The guys all had to vote between the two. And Britt will rise through the course of this season to be Caitlin's main rival, in my opinion. So we see it even here from night one. Yeah. And Britt's entire game is based on how she looks. She is very attractive, and she uses that along with tears and a kind of basic manipulation style to whip Chris Souls around. And ultimately, it falls flat at some point in the season. He sees through it. There have been enough tattle accusations against her that it falls apart. You can't, in this modern game, you cannot rely on simply your looks and a basic manipulation game to get through to the end. But here on night one, it works very well. Neither Britt nor Caitlin are in the final two. But I would argue that the story of this season is Britt versus Caitlin, a story that they continue with the night one curveball of the next Bachelorette season of having them pitted against each other. They get the most screen time out of anyone. Absolutely agree. And just to let you know, the first flower is the first rose given in a rose ceremony. And it is interesting to note because it applies to your rose quotient or your RQ score. For those of you who might not have heard us talking about the RQ in prior episodes, I'm going to explain it for you now. The RQ is a score that every player has who gets a minimum of five roses during their season. You want your score to be as close to zero as you possibly can get. That's the best score is the lowest score. And so how this number is derived is every rose in the game is assigned a point value. If you get a first impression rose, a one-on-one -on -one date rose, a group date rose, a two-on-one rose, the final rose, or any kind of exotic other rose that exists in that season of the game outside of a rose ceremony, those roses are all assigned zero points. A rose within the rose ceremony is assigned a point value that is equal to the order in which you got it. So here, Caitlin gets a one-point rose. It's the lowest point value you can get other than a first impression, one-on-one, -on -one, group date, one of those zero-point roses. And this is going to start off a collection of roses for Caitlin Bristow that is so fucking low in number, it will make you cry. I couldn't... W look, we're going to get to her rose quotient at the end of this. I'll just say that. We will tell you her rose quotient at the end of this episode. It is, mm -hmm. and we haven't done all the calculations, but I believe it is the lowest in the history of the game, aka the best. 
Lower than Nick Vial. It is lower than Nick Vial's, yes. Interesting. Interesting. Just good to know. Look, the Rose Quotient, <laughs> it is just a metric <laughs> that allows us to measure their skill at getting these high-value roses, yeah, these zero-point roses. It's just one of our metrics. It one is, metrics and it's an important one. who the best players are. Exactly. That's right. I'm saying comparatively, it is a little better than Nick Viles. His was still very good. Okay. Anything under a two uh-huh. is fucking phenomenal. Okay. Moving on. <laughs> <laughs> Clues is weeping. <laughs> we got week one. Caitlin's on the second group date. It is a zombie paintball group date. Very infamous. One of the only group dates that I remember from this season because we have uh Ashley S., our resident weirdo, going off the rails, taking the paintball a little too seriously. And in response, Caitlin continues to dominate this colorful narrator role. She says, do not put a weapon in that girl's hand. I don't care if it's a fork or a paintball gun. She shouldn't even be holding a wet noodle. The construction of this joke is, it's flawless. I mean, she is a professional. The thing Caitlin does really well here is she recognizes Ashley Salter is going to be the focal point of this date because it's in this date that she really starts to emerge as what they call the crazy person. She's talking to things that aren't there. She has a wild look in her eye. She's behaving erratically during this group date, to say the fucking least. For example, <laughs> there'd be these people dressed up as zombies coming after them, and they're meant to shoot them with paintball guns, and they're on teams, and all this kind of shit. Ashley Salter will walk over to a zombie who is laying on the ground, feigning death, and just fucking pump five rounds into their head. Shit like that. It's a little abnormal. Yeah. It's unclear what's going on here. And whether this is an actual mental health issue, the show treats it as a complete joke. That's Bachelor for you. But however the show's going to treat it, Caitlin quickly recognizes all eyes are going to be on Ashley Salter. I better start talking about her. And she adeptly weaves this colorful narration about this woman who's going to be the focal point of the date she's on into her ITMs. And like you're saying... Yeah, we're watching Ashley Salter do all these wacky things, but we're listening to Caitlin tell us about it. She has cemented herself as a part of this event, even though she's not a part of it. It's not about her, but it is. That type of play is a fucking treat to watch because you can just tell she understands the production of the show. She gets that higher level that they're not just there fucking around with each other and looking for love. She's like, no, this is a fucking TV show and I know they're going to need to cut shit into it. So let me give them that material. And that is playing to that third audience, playing to the producers. She's doing that in this group date fucking better than anyone. I mean, they probably asked each woman about Ashley's, performance during that group date and they probably were like oh yeah she's acting a little crazy or whatever no one is constructing these three-part jokes like caitlin at the after party uh chris souls tells her that she's cool and funny and they talk about her past relationship maybe a hint of a ptc that she's had heartbreak and she tells him that she's glad she came they get their first kiss and chris souls rewards her with her first of about 1,000 group date roses. This is what we're talking about. This is a zero-point rose. This is her first one she gets. So right now she's got two roses in the game. She's got the first flower 
and a group date rose, a one and a zero. She's sitting at a 0.5 right now. If we were to calculate it, rose quotients are not official until you have five roses, but she's sitting at a very low number, obviously. And these group date roses are, they're crucial. You're going to have to get at least one as you're weaving your way through a season usually. And what it really signifies is that in these group settings, when the bachelor is forced to select one person and say, you're definitely going through to the next round. She's doing whatever necessary to make sure that is her, that this bachelor says, yes, it's you. And these group date roses, by the way, they're not solely up to the discretion of the bachelor. The producers weigh in on this shit too. So all this producer play she's doing, as well as the play that she's doing toward Chris Souls, combine here for Chris Souls and some producer in some back room to come to the conclusion, Caitlin Bristow gets the group date rose. And she's done it here. She's set that precedent. And we will watch it play out a few more fucking times over the course of the season. Her group Ugh. date play is just beautiful. I don't know that there's been a better group date player. No, I think she's the greatest group date player we've ever seen. Because the thing she has above Nick Vial, I'll say this, is he is adversarial with all the other players. Exactly. And she's not. He comes off as a piece of shit. (laughs) Okay, that was very subjective. He gets a bad edit. He gets a bad edit. I I think that's objective. Yeah, that's true. He does get a kind of villain edit, and Caitlin never does. She is able to play to that second audience at a much higher level than Vial ever was. Exactly. This is also, though, a discrepancy between men and women. The men don't usually have a good second audience game. Almost none of them do, especially front runners and people who make it deep into the game. All of the guys get adversarial against each other. It's just the nature of kind of alpha male aggression in our beloved game, I think. Is it? Yes. How about Mike Johnson? Claimed by the brown ceiling. Who was he adversarial with? Claimed by the brown ceiling. He didn't make it into the top three. But he was up there. Top six. Tyler Cameron? Tyler Cameron literally stepped to fucking Luke P like he was going to kick the shit out of him. That was just protecting her. That wasn't like a rivalry. (laughs) I rest my case, your honor. (laughs) Yeah, it's those three. Remember, it was PP... Tyler Cameron and fucking Jed, when Luke P came back, they were all like fucking yeah, muscled up on them. if they're all him. ganging up, if they're all ganging up, it's not the same thing. Disagree. It still is that thread of like, fuck you, like bro. Nick, Nick and Sean Booth going at each other's throats. It's not like that. Yeah, I mean, there are degrees of it. I'm just saying, I don't think that that is necessary. And I think that's part of why Caitlin is a much better player than Nick. Yeah, her play style is more subtle. And like we're saying, it's more well-rounded. She's playing to four audiences almost always. Nick was really focused on playing to producers and lead, the first and third audiences. Yeah. And he kind of ignored the second and the fourth, honestly, to his detriment in some cases. Anyway, all that is to say, Caitlin's week one, you get your group date and she capitalized in a way that was pretty fucking flawless. A beautiful thing to watch. And she's rewarded in week two. Now, week two sees her patience paid off. She gets the first one-on-one date with Chris Souls, the simple-minded farmer from Iowa. And this week, the show does something interesting. They have a celebrity guest come in 
to kind of chaperone each of the dates and to, in quotes, design the dates. Obviously, they were designed with the help of producers, but these dates are meant to have a comic effect. This celebrity is, of course, the host of ABC's late night show, Jimmy Kimmel. So he comes in, and the date he's designed for Caitlin and Chris Souls is that they're going to go to a Costco, just like a normal couple would, and they're going to buy a bunch of shit that he's given them a list of things to procure, and they're going to make him dinner that night with all this shit, and he's going to come over and hang out with them. This is not a date anyone wants. You have the ability to have a get to the chopper and fly around and look at shit. You have the ability to maybe go spend a day in Vegas, a pretty woman, go on a yacht. There are all these fucking amazing things that you can potentially be doing on a one-on-one date. And here, Caitlin gets, you're going to fucking Costco to buy barbecue sauce. It's not great, but she fucking rolls with it. We know she's going to. This is the thing that fucking blew my mind on this, by the way. I could spend two hours talking about this fucking date. The producers pick her for this because they know she can hang with Jimmy Kimmel. They're not going to put a fucking dud on this date and just have Jimmy Kimmel mercilessly make fun of them. They know that if they throw Caitlyn on this fucking date, she's going to fucking give him some jokes back. And it may be a good dynamic. And it turns out that that's the case. But also, even when they're in Costco, she doesn't give a fuck. She's riding around in the shopping cart doing funny jokes. They find a big inflatable they go bubble. In a little bubble and they kiss. I would, though, love to watch the alternate universe uh, date where this is Ashley Salter. (laughs) So they go, they buy all this shit at Costco. They have a fun day together. They get their kiss. Then they go to the second part of it that night. They are back at the house where Chris Souls is staying and they're cooking on the grill and they're getting some drinks ready. And then Jimmy Kimmel comes over as their dinner guest and he immediately walks in And you can see him testing the fucking waters. This man's job on a nightly basis is to go toe-to-toe with some of the funniest, most creative, most intellectually curious people in the world on his talk show. Before that, um, while they're doing this home cooking Mikasa date, Caitlin and Chris talk about how he says, my lifestyle is not glamorous. And she says, that's what I actually like about you. She love level ones him here. And they get two kisses. She's playing this really appreciative attitude for having a real day with crystals because she's just, you know, a salt of the earth person just like him. This happened to both of us as we were watching this. You start to imagine these alternate realities where Caitlin Bristow wound up with Chris Souls and moved to fucking Arlington, Iowa and lived on his farm <laughs> in this shithole town. And none of the Caitlin Bristow stuff that we now know is true. In that moment when she's like, that's what I actually really like about you. It's not glamorous. You're like, what the fuck? She has a line of scrunchies, her own wine, all these podcasts. She's on Dancing with the Stars. She's a massive celebrity. Can you even possibly imagine that maybe she was telling the truth in that fucking moment? Maybe. Maybe there was an inkling of it. Maybe she was prepared to fucking not do any of that shit and go move to Iowa. Who knows? But it obviously didn't happen. We have the reality that we're living in now where Chris Souls has killed someone and <laughs> fucked Victoria Fuller oh on his God. farm for a couple of months during the pandemic. That's what happened. But goddamn, in that moment, you're like, Jesus Christ, it was possible. Caitlin Bristow could have wound up with him. Jimmy Kimmel comes in. Like you said, the level of difficulty of this date right here is so high. This man's profession is being charming and funny and likable and... It's this very bizarre third wheel. And also being a dick. 
His brand of humor is very specific. He's an asshole to people, and he makes that funny. He can say mean shit to you and have it come off as a joke. So you know that that is what he's going to be doing to them, and you're just fucking like, oh God, here we go. We already kind of know what Caitlin Bristow's capable of. We've seen her be able to dish out the humor. We know Chris Soule's is not capable of doing this at all. And to me, that's what happens in this fucking day. Jimmy Kimmel sits down. He starts talking to Caitlin directly saying, now, how are you going to feel when you watch back this whole season and you see him make sweet, sweet love to these other two women? And she's like, whatever, dude, that's what this is all about. Doesn't even skip a fucking beat. She says, can't buy a car without test driving it. And Jimmy says, keeper. I feel like she got the rose with that line. Jimmy Kimmel came out with the big guns. I'm going to fucking go straight at the heart of the process and of whatever love you think you might be trying to form. Jimmy Kimmel isn't watching this show genuinely. He knows it's all fucking bullshit. And so he's there to make fun of it. And in the process, make fun of these people who are engaged in it. So he comes for the first fucking thing, goes for the jugular. This guy's going to fuck a bunch of other women and you're going to have to watch it. And she's like, yep, now what? She just fucking diffuses the whole thing immediately. And you can even see in Jimmy Kimmel's eyes. He's like, oh, fuck. Okay. She's on the level. Chris Souls, meanwhile, is just sitting over on the side drinking his fucking bourbon or whatever. Chris Souls is battered around. He has no charm and charisma here. Uh, also, Caitlin drops in a line that she dated a farmer in the past, which was an excellent move. Semi-implying, yeah, I could move to Iowa. I've lived this lifestyle before. And ultimately... Now, I believe that this date was chosen because there was a 100% guarantee of a rose, but Jimmy asked Chris to give out the rose right in front of him, and Chris gives it to Caitlin. And Jimmy Kimmel fucks off, and we see a few kisses, and then we see them in the hot tub, and then there's a shot of them in the hot tub with Jimmy Kimmel, so they're doing these scripted, comedic skits. You get the idea from this date that Caitlin Bristow is a fucking celebrity. She's able to go toe-to-toe with Jimmy Kimmel on every fucking joke he lays out. Chris Souls cannot do that. Yes, he's The Bachelor, but he doesn't have the skill to hang with somebody like Jimmy Kimmel. He's not a celebrity. He's just a guy they cast on this show. But after this, Caitlin Bristow gets this, again, a zero-point rose. So she's now got a one-point, a zero from the group date the prior week, and another zero here. After she gets this rose, you're just like, fuck, she should have her own TV show. Like, that's what I felt like after watching this. And in week three, Caitlin continues her dominating group date game. This date is Chris takes them in cars. They go out to this lake. It's just a fun at the lake day. We see a move by Ashley I here, a voluntary nudity play where she takes off her bikini top and she jumps in the lake. Wow. What a move. You know, she's getting attention. It's proving that maybe she's got some, she's got some uh, sexy flirtatious vibes, even though... <laughs> We can tell that maybe this is overcompensating for something. Caitlin, when this happens, goes, "Uh, uh, uh-uh-uh, this is my group date. She goes full nude, jumps in the lake. I remembered three things from this season, which I hadn't watched in many years. I remembered that I loved Caitlin Bristow, that I wanted her to be bachelorette. I remembered her limo exit, and I remembered that she jumped full nude into the lake. 
This, to me, was one of her highlight moments of the season. It's sexual, but it's not it's not crossing this line. She goes right up to this line where people might consider it trashy. And probably a bunch of people did consider it trashy, but she just powerfully conveys that she's this fun-loving, free-spirited person, exactly the type of person that maybe Crystals is looking for who can, you know, hang. And it's a little bit of a one-upsmanship here. Ashley I, at least in the editing of the episode, we have no idea what the actual order of it is. Caitlin Bristow might have been the first one to do this, but at least how it's presented to us, which means the producers are even giving her a one-upsmanship if it is mm-hmm. presented out of order. But Ashley I removes her top and jumps in the water. Caitlin Bristow says, uh-uh, takes the bottom of her swimsuit off and jumps in the fucking water. In my opinion, this is an escalation of the voluntary nudity play. And so she comes across as the... <laughs> she essentially is granted the victory of the voluntary nudity play there. I feel like Ashley I. Kennedy's voluntary nudity play was almost erased by the severity of Caitlin's. It was erased from my memory. I didn't know Ashley I. even made a voluntary nudity play this season. And the second part of this date is that they're all camping... This is, you know, an outdoor activity for some of the women. It's out of their element. But Caitlin rolls with the punches once again. She has this chill, fun conversation with Chris, getting him to say that his love language is touch. They share another kiss. She then plays to the second audience, telling all the women a ghost story. She plays to the third and fourth audiences by narrating Ashley S.'s craziness once again in her ITMs, her in the moments, she fucking gets another group date rose. Two weeks in a row, group date roses. You never see that. It was astounding to me that this happened. I didn't remember it this way. But if you're another player on her season, let's say you're even a player who's been on both of these group dates with her, you're fucked. The only thing going through your mind at that point is, oh, she's winning everything. To see such fucking dominance in two back-to-back group dates like that. Plus, you know she's had a fucking one-on-one in there that she walked away with a group date. Where they went on a date with fucking Jimmy Kimmel. All you're seeing, if you're the players, the second audience, is she's untouchable. There's nothing you can do to fucking make her deviate from this just utter train of dominance. She's getting every zero point rose. Three weeks in a row, she got a fucking zero pointer. She hasn't had to fucking even be in a rose ceremony for three fucking weeks. Meanwhile, you're standing up there sweating your ass off, hoping this fucking jackass calls your name in the first five so you can stop having a heart attack. Even though she already has the rose, she continues to play a dominant role in this episode throughout the cocktail party she gets a kiss with Chris Souls. She continues to play this colorful narrator role. This time she talks about the two virgins, Ashley I and Becca Tilly. In this cocktail party, Caitlin's play is going so well that she gets other frontrunner Brit to fuck up. Brit asks Chris Souls why Caitlin keeps getting roses for being sexual, which was a huge error. You never tattle. 
You never make your time about any of the other players. Well, this is where Brit's weakness starts to show. You can only get so far on looks and tears and the manipulation game. Once you turn the manipulation to hostility, it is never going to work. I won't say never. Victoria Fuller fucking did it on PP like Courtney. every goddamn week. Yeah, and Courtney also won the Courtney whole fucking won. game. <laughs> but generally speaking, it's a bad idea. And it's just kind of what comes natural with that play style, I feel like. You get to a point where you're like, you've kind of manipulated him with sweetness and your looks for a little while, and then you start to see things are going better for somebody else. And so your immediate kind of natural impulse is to be like, hey, fuck that person put your attention back on me. And that's kind of what she tries to do here. And it, it sows the seeds of doubt that will later bloom into a full garden of hatred by Chris. Have you ever experienced a dry, itchy scalp or ever wondered why your color isn't lasting as long as your hairdresser promised? Well, unfiltered mineral filled water could be the reason why did you know hard water is a leading cause of damaged hair and dry, irritated skin. And that about 85% of the United States uses hard water filled with dissolved minerals and added chlorine. That's where Canopy's new filtered showerhead comes in. Known for their beauty hacks and reimagined humidifier, Canopy is dermatologist recommended. This unique three-stage filtration system greatly reduces contaminants and odors in your shower water. Best of all, the Canopy filtered showerhead is hassle-free, installation's a breeze, and its unique quick-release filter replacement feature allows for seamless filter replacement. Go to Canopy. .co to save $25 on your Canopy filtered showerhead purchase today with Canopy's hassle-free filter subscription. Even better, Gore listeners can use our code ROSES at checkout to save an additional 10% off your Canopy purchase. Hurry, your hair and skin will thank you. Clues, underwear drawers, they're not organized. They're like the, the Wild West, the final frontier of wardrobes mm. and there's no rhyme or reason to them y you got ones that are super old uh different brands etc you don't know what to expect but now i have felt the buttery soft comfort of me undies and now i want to replace the whole drawer with me undies because those are my now go-to i'm currently wearing their long sleeve shirt and my <laughs> Um, <laughs> which is not what this uh, ad is about, but I am also wearing the super soft, sustainable modal fabric thong with no roll black waistband. Mm. You want that. You don't want it to be rolling. You don't want it to be showing. And I'm hooked. I don't want to wear anything else. It's all got to go now. Well, this ad actually is kind of about that pace case. Everybody knows MeUndies <laughs> makes great underwear. It's in the name, MeUndies. But it's not just about underwear. You can explore the lounge collection featuring comfy joggers, hoodies, onesies, and a whole bunch more. And their Move Me activewear collection is the softest activewear on the market. There's no doubt about it. Right now, you can get 20% off your first order plus free shipping at meundies.com slash roses. That's meundies.com slash roses for 20% off plus free shipping. MeUndies. Comfort. From the outside in. Support for today's episode comes from One Skin. If you have sensitive skin, you're going to want to hear about One Skin's scientifically proven topical supplements. This is face, eye, body, shield, 
and it can all be used with any of their other products, which are free from over 1,500 chemicals and preservatives that can make skin red, irritated, or itchy. Their products are safe for sensitive skin. It's just one of the reasons they've earned the Skin Safe seal of approval. You got to keep that skin glowing if you want to be keeping up the level of face play that I've got going on. And OneSkin was founded by an all-woman team of scientists. Their products are backed by extensive lab and clinical data to validate their efficacy and safety on all skin types. Uh, Their topical supplements are the easiest way to keep your skin healthy and hydrated without the harsh ingredients or irritation found in other skincare products often. OneSkin is the world's first skin longevity company. By focusing on the cellular aspects of aging, OneSkin keeps your skin looking and acting younger for longer. Get started today with 15% off using code ROSES at oneskin.co. That's 15% off oneskin.co with code ROSES. After you purchase, they'll ask you where you heard about them. Please support Gore and tell them that we sent you. But <laughs> here, it's just the first moment that she's making this mistake. And like you're saying, Caitlin fucking forced it. In a very subtle way, Caitlin laid this bait for Brit. And she fucking took it. Not with a direct attack, but by just being such an excellent player. Well, by doing something in the game that is so heightened from everyone else's play that it has to be commented on by another player, especially if it's taking her spotlight. Britt was the front runner, I feel like, until this moment. Yeah, Britt got the femp and Caitlyn whittled away at her. In week four, Caitlyn's on another group date. The important thing that happened this episode was Jordan Branch, a player who was kicked off earlier in the game, drives herself to Santa Fe to perform a resurrection. She apologizes to Chris for being the drunk one. And many of the players at this after party get upset. But Caitlin makes her one-on-one time about them. She says, I don't want to talk about Jordan. And this was just, again, another perfect play. And Caitlin doesn't get the group date rose here. This is a rare occasion where there's a zero pointer laying (laughs) on the table and it's not in her hands by the end of the date. But she does get a second flower at the rose ceremony. The order of roses at the rose ceremony is 100% determined by the producers. The lead has literally no say in it. They will use this order very often to save the last rose handed out or the last two roses handed out for people that are in a rivalry, for somebody who's on a bubble and they've built up that story over the course of the episode. This person did something bad. Is he going to keep them around? That type of shit. So by getting a rose, even in the first three, really, one, two, or three are people who are safe, people who there's no question they're coming back next week. And she's rewarded here for all the play that's led up to this point by getting a two-point rose. So again, her rose quotient is extremely fucking low still. She's got a one point, three zeros, and a two point. Going into week five, there is an altercation. We've been following this sort of villain edit for Kelsey Poe. The women think that she's possibly making up her PTC about her dead husband, Sanderson Poe. It it should be noted. This PTC is one of the most iconic PTC plays in the history of the fucking game. She sits down and tells 
Chris Souls that she was married to the love of her life, a man named Sanderson Poe, who fell down dead one day when he was outside, and then she is in an ITM saying how much she loves her story and that her story is so amazing and smiling about it as though she is relishing the victimhood that it grants her. And this becomes a huge piece of this season that all the other women see this as evidence that she is not there for TWR, that she is not even really that broken up about her dead husband, that she in fact sees it as something beneficial, that she enjoys having this tragedy looming over her, that it makes her story better. And she makes many allusions in her ITMs to continuing to watch her story Mondays at 8. She is very aware of the fact that she is a character in television and that the story she's telling is a part of that character's background. She also uses her story to do an IFI, an illness, fear, or injury, when she has a panic attack or fakes a panic attack right before a cocktail party, which Chris Souls then has to go over and comfort her, and she gets the rose that week. Some of Kelsey's play is getting to the women Carly and Whitney confront Kelsey about this. Kelsey starts crying, and notably, Caitlin is silent. She's in the room, but she does not get involved. Not only in the room, all four of these women, Carly Waddell, Caitlin Bristow, Becca Tilly, and Kelsey Poe, the target of their attack, they are sitting on a fucking couch together just crammed in the producers were like okay all four of you go sit on that fucking couch and talk about sanderson poe <laughs> so they're they're literally <laughs> inches from each other touching each other in some cases having this fucking conversation it's poe time ladies <laughs> and caitlin just fucking sits there silently she lets carly and fucking becca do all the lifting they're the ones doing the attack they're the ones prompting this whole fucking conversation Kelsey Poe's on the defensive, and she's just sitting there, sipping a fucking drink, listening and learning. She's in the scene, but she's not going to get any of the blame for attacking. She's not going to actually be a part of this, and she's not going to be tricked into giving any footage that can be used to build a rivalry, which they do later with fucking Carly, because she's just giving it to them. She's leading the attack. Caitlin played this moment of silence so fucking brilliantly i mean this type of shit when i see it is like she understands the game at a higher level that it's like the producers can put you in this situation they can force you to sit on that fucking couch but they can't force you to talk and if you just sit there and say nothing you're gonna come out of this clean as a fucking whistle and she does and carly doesn't carly falls for the fucking bait carly was like a pretty strong player she wasn't on the level of the top tier players this season, but she was pretty strong. She made it much further than I thought she would with a basic kind of floater strategy, but she falls for this fucking bait. And it's these moments where the producers are laying these traps for you. If you can avoid them, you're a high level player. If you can't, you're just a fucking run of the mill person who's going to be like top six. And that's what we see literally happening in the scene. It's like playing out right before your fucking eyes. You're like, Oh, Caitlin's the best player. She's the only one saying nothing. The other three are engaged in this fucking argument. Then they're all on a group date this week. It is a country music public performance date where there's these celebs, big and rich, who help them write a song and they're all supposed to perform it. As you might predict, Caitlin flourishes in this environment. 
She is a musical genius. <laughs> Everyone <laughs> wait, wait, else wait. performs these. <laughs> I don't know if we can go that far, but. Shh, shh. She is a genius. <laughs> Everyone else is doing these like cute country songs. They're very heartfelt. Carly makes a pretty good play here where she gets Chris to perform with her. Um, whenever you can bring The Bachelor in when you're doing a public performance or a competition group date, it is a good move. But Caitlin adds her own little flair to this. She does a dirty rap song, a complete standout. You know, we can see hints that maybe she'll be a chart topper later on. I don't think anybody saw her chart topping coming from this performance specifically. I did. Okay, one person did, and maybe her mom and dad. But uh, (laughs) it was stellar play because everybody else is going up there singing it's big and rich it's all this country shit everybody's kind of following in line with that with what the producers are forcing you to mm-hmm. do she sang a fucking rap song it shows that she's funny she can have fun with it and she's unique nobody else is doing that not close this is basically the voluntary nudity play of music okay sure we can we can make that <laughs> jump But even Jade, who becomes kind of the story of this date, she's very nervous about it and she thinks she's going to fail and she can't sing. And so the story of this group date becomes Jade's walls, her insecurities and overcoming them. And she does it. And as Chris Soul says, she killed it. She did not kill it, but he says that. So that's what we're going to (laughs) believe. So in the face of all of this, Caitlin comes with her rap song And we start to see that maybe, even though the producers are building up this Jade story, maybe Caitlyn's going to pull this shit off again. At the after party of the group date, Caitlyn, she gives a love level one to Chris Soule. She tells him that she has feelings. They do a kiss. She loads love level two in her ITM. This is exactly how these things should be timed she's telling him love level one but really she is starting to fall she quote unquote can see herself falling so she's pulling out of the stops here she's doing love level play she did a fucking rap it's an effort that you just you want it to work so bad they've stacked the deck against her and unfortunately it is too much for even Caitlyn Brisser to overcome, Jade does get this group date rose because she dealt with her insecurities and flourished on the date. That's the story they're promoting. Now, it is extremely important to note something strange happens this week. There was also a two-on-one date this week with Kelsey Poe and Ashley Iaconetti out in the Badlands. One of the most memorable dates from this season. <laughs> Souls winds up dismissing them both giving no one the fucking rose. And we get these beautiful helicopter shots of Ashley Iaconetti sitting by herself, crying in the desert, and Kelsey Poe left in this weird tent by themselves. <laughs> we're meant to believe that they were just left in the Badlands to fucking die when Chris Souls decided yeah. they weren't for sure. <laughs> but He helicopters away from them. So he's kicked off two players on the two-on-one, and then just before the rose ceremony starts, he takes Megan aside and kicks her off as well in a benevolent execution. So he's done enough eliminations that we don't need a rose ceremony on this night. There isn't one. The six remaining players just get a berth through. Jade is the only player that week who gets any rose. Therefore, there are no point values to be assigned 
to Caitlin this week. She moves through that week without adding any more points. She doesn't get a rose to add to the overall average, but she doesn't get any more points. This may be luck, that that's just how it worked in her season. This may be the producers saying, fuck it, they're all through. I don't know exactly, but this will be crucial in ultimately factoring out her final rose quotient, that she has this kind of bye week happen <laughs> this week, because that's super rare. I, I don't think I've ever seen it happen other than this. There was a a moment where Nick Vial gave out four roses to the four remaining people, but he gave them roses. They get point values. Yeah. No one here is given a rose. The ceremony does not take place. I mean, it goes all the way to the top. They just wanted to help her RQ. Week six, we got the round of six. Caitlin is on a three-person group date with Britt and Carly. There are fascinating dynamics that happen on this group date. A bunch of the women have been saying that Britt is fake they had this whole sequence where the women, they're in Arlington, and the women all do this road trip to go visit downtown Arlington, and it's shitty, and Brit shit talks Arlington and then goes and tells Chris that she could actually see herself there. And Carly, I mean, poor Carly being on this <laughs> three-person date with Brit and Caitlin, she uses her time to tattle on Brit, sort of knocking Brit out of the way. Um, it's an ice hockey date. Carly also uses tears, and even though Brit hoojus and she gets three kisses, Caitlin, at the after party of this date, plays a subtle make me stay to Chris Souls. She says, like, this is scary, and she pulls in fucking tears, and she gets more kisses, and she gets this crucial group date rose, which means she's going to hometowns. And not only that, she gets this group date rose in front of Britt and Carly. Britt breaks down. She is pissed about not getting the rose and starts attacking Chris and sort of implicitly attacking Caitlin. And Caitlin plays off this moment as the victim perfectly. It makes Britt seem like even more of a villain with Caitlin being like, I, you know, it feels like you're attacking me. She has many moments throughout the season that are fucking huge highlights. This is one of my favorites, though, because anytime you have this group date where it's three people or a two-on-one, I like watching the dynamics between smaller groups because the play is more defined. If you're in a big group, you can kind of get lost in the shuffle. You're doing some general play to a lot of people at once. This is all very specific. This person has this role. This person has this role. How is it all working together? And when she sits down with Chris Souls and tells him, I'm scared. I don't know this whole situation. He doesn't fucking hesitate. As soon as she conveys a second of insecurity about this, that motherfucker stands up and is like, excuse me, I'll be right back and swipes that fucking rose and gives it to her. It's immediate, his response, because he knows that's locked in. This comes from strong producer play, that second audience that she's been doing. The producers and him have already decided she's going through. That's locked. The things he doesn't know are about Carly, and Britt is starting to become a question mark for him. So she gets this rose, and like you said, it pushes fucking Britt over the edge here when she comes back with it. But this is also, in my opinion, the result of the difference between Britt and Caitlin's second audience play style. Brit is like, fuck all the other players. She talks nice to them and tries to be fake with them, but they can see through that. She's not really their friend. 
Caitlin, on the other hand, is fun with everyone. She is playing a very strong second audience game, and that allows for this moment to happen where Brit can be turned into a villain and Caitlin can't. The villains always have a weak second audience game. If you have a strong one, you can never be a fucking villain. If the other women in the house don't hate you, you cannot be a villain. It bears out right here. She gets the fucking zero point rose and Britt goes from a front runner to the fucking most hated person on the show in one event. And it's because of Caitlin Bristow's play style. And Carly being on this date and choosing to be, you know, a suicide bomber here, taking Britt out with her as she goes. This is something that, all players should take note of there's going to be somebody who tattles there's going to be that person just don't be that person someone else will take care of it and they're going to potentially sink the person they're tattling on as well as themselves two birds with one stone and in this case caitlin doesn't really know it because she wasn't present for carly's tattle but she's on a date with those two people. She's on a date with the tattler and the target of the tattle. And she doesn't even fucking know it. And she benefits. She takes the fucking rose out from right in between them. Pluck. Thank you. That's mine, fuckers. God, it was brilliant. Third group date rose. We are still going through our power binge and we haven't done Bachelorette yet, but I'm pretty sure this is a record. There's simply no way. She has one more rose to get before she's eliminated from our beloved game. But ultimately, her roses are a one point, four zero points, and two two points. Having a rose quotient under two is, um, it's virtually impossible. Yeah. <laughs> and she has one that is so much lower, it is crazy. We will get to that at the end of this. But this week, for me, it was like watching, um, it was like watching a ballerina, just like her mother doing their greatest performance ever it had subtlety it had power when necessary it had grace it had artistry and the timing of everything was impeccable it was just a flawless fucking performance in a situation that is notoriously difficult these three-on-ones and two-on-ones are dreaded by players but caitlin understood it's an opportunity for a rose And that is what is crucial to accept in this game is that these things may seem bad, but they're not because you have an opportunity for that zero point rose and you just have to get it. That's all you have to do. Creams and serums are made of 70% water, 15% preservatives and emulsifiers, leaving only around 15% for the active ingredients that your skin needs. But luckily now there's fiber skincare. 15 years ago, the scientists behind fiber skincare started working on nanofibers, which are 500 times smaller than human hair. You know, I I saw that in um, Three Body Problem. Mm. One year ago, they patented a way of wrapping the nanofiber around oil or liquid-based ingredients. This means they can deliver five times the active ingredients compared to creams or serums, as there is no need for water, preservatives, or emulsifiers. The first formulation made with this technology is plant-based, anti-wrinkle. It's a set of patches that you use over a series of seven days. You just put these on whenever you would apply your serums and your skin is going to feel tighter in 10 seconds. And over the seven-day program, it has been clinically proven to reduce wrinkles by, get this, 19.4%, a very precise percentage. In fact... Mm. They have a tighter skin guarantee. 
If your skin isn't tighter in seven days, they're going to give you your money back. No questions asked. You get the tighter skin guarantee with this seven-day routine. Tighter skin or your money back. Get a 15% discount code by using the discount code GAME. That's Fiber Skincare. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with and Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that and Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. This message comes from BOF sponsor eBay. You'll know real when you get it. It'll say eBay Authenticity Guarantee. And you'll feel it. Maybe it's a head-turning handbag, a watch that says it all, jewellery that makes you look like the gem, or sneakers and streetwear so fresh every step feels fly. eBay gets it. So look for the blue check mark next to that thing you love. And be confident that every inch, stitch, sole, and logo is checked by experts. With eBay Authenticity Guarantee, you can trust that feeling of real is always in reach. Ensure your next purchase is the real deal. Visit ebay.com for terms. You just have to get it. Yeah, it seems often in the round of six like, oh yeah, you want to get a one-on-one going into hometowns. But often... There is only one rose on the table, and it is so crucial to get it if you're on that group date. Not that the other players can't continue, but like we see here, the other two don't. And we are brought to hometowns. They, <laughs> Unlike other seasons, they can't travel internationally because of Chris Souls' DUI situation. Um, so Caitlin's hometown is in Phoenix, Arizona, instead of Canada. It's similar. Phoenix, Arizona, Vancouver. These are similar <laughs> towns. Same vibe. <laughs> uh, Caitlin takes Chris Souls to a recording studio. They make a rap song together. This is reminiscent of their earlier group date when she rapped while all the other girls did country songs. It's fun. It's semi-launching her what is her career today she's certainly at the very least giving us that flavor of who she is again don't forget i'm the fun one who sings songs and dances that's my thing i'm a performer she's putting it right in our fucking face at every opportunity because especially with hometowns this is one of the only times as a player you really have some control over what you're going to be doing what you're going to be showing us, the audience, and what you're going to be showing the lead and everyone else. She gets to decide that. Oh, yeah, we'll go to a recording studio. That'd be fun. I'd love to do that. Then they meet, I guess, at some (laughs) Airbnb. They meet Caitlin's family. Caitlin gets several kisses. It is a split family, but Caitlin executes the perfect split family hometown date where Everyone is getting along. It's never brought up. There's no tension, etc. It seems like, oh, this could be a happy family that I could buy into. She's got a secret weapon. This family is Canadian. 
So, of course, they're all going to be nice and polite, and there's not going to be any fucking fights happening here. She knows that when she brings this motherfucker into a Canadian family reunion, everything's going to be just fine. And it is. We get a double glow. We get her stepdad glows glows her. We get her mom glows her, even though she's protective because Caitlin's heart has been broken. She's playing up that PTC. She tells her that Caitlin's eyes are all lit up. A literal glow. And Caitlin loads her love level two with her mom again and also brings up walls. I don't know why I'm scared. And then after the meeting of the family, Caitlin brings crystals to a sign that she's commissioned, I guess, that says Caitlin heart emoji Chris. It is a questionable visual love level we don't really count it, but it's enough. It's a good enough love level for Chris. <laughs> to me, it was strange. This is really the only misstep I think she made this entire season. After the meeting of the family, which seems to have gone well, she drives him out to a fucking parking lot and they are standing under a billboard, like an LED sign that is just simple text, Caitlin Hart, Chris. It's an attempt at a visual LL4 but it doesn't quite come off. It, it falls a little flat to me. When you're going to LL4, and this is a good time to do it, by the way. Right after Hometowns is a great time to raise to love level four. You want that to actually be love level three. You want to say love, save love level four for as late in the game as you can, preferably right on the fantasy suite date, right when the fucking fantasy suite card comes out. But she does it here in this weird way. She doesn't say the words. She doesn't use the sacred word at all. She just says, check out that billboard, dude. And he's like, okay, great. And like you said, it's enough for her to come across as sincere for TRR, but it's like, it's a little weird to me. It's a gesture. I feel like she knows her audience and this is enough for Chris. But it's not enough in my mind to truly convey that the wall is down and she's in this fully. It's this weird half step that's like, oh, I'll put it on a billboard, I guess. Cool. All right. There's no conversation about it. There's no real admission. My feelings have gotten to the level they need to be. So again, this for me is a, a rare and the only misstep, I think, that she did the entire season. She should have said it as well. She should have said, "That's." he's like, oh, thanks for the billboard. And she should have been, well, look, I realized I'm falling in love with you. She should have raised to love level three right there. And she did not. But we're going to see her raise it next episode. She gets a two-point rose at this rose ceremony. The highest point value rose she's gotten is a two. She gets another two here. Having a two as your highest point value rose is... I don't know how to describe how hard that is to do. Think about fucking night one. Just night one. She got the first flower, a one-point rose. This motherfucker gave out 22 roses on night one, including the first impression rose, which went to Brit. Ashley Salter got a fucking 21 point rose that night. A 21 <laughs> fucking point rose. The highest Poor girl. number that fucking Caitlin had was two. And on that night, she got a fucking one. It's astounding what she was able to do in terms of rose quotient this season. After this two-point rose, she moves on to week eight. This is the second round of playoffs in our beloved game. Something we all know by another name. Fantasy Suites. <laughs> They're in Bali. Caitlin gets uh, 
first uh, entry. Caitlin is granted first entry. Uh, she does a hoojoo. She gets a bunch of kisses at this monkey place. They go to a temple, walk with baskets on their heads. And Caitlin references her walls again. She says, it concerns me. Chris thinks I have a guard up. Caitlin plays at the day portion excellently, makes a bunch of monkey metaphors. These monkeys see what they want and they go after it. So she's setting up this story for herself. Like, I have these walls, but at the night portion, they're going to come down. And at the night portion, they do. They have a dinner at this temple setup. Chris tells her not to hold back. She says she doesn't want to have her guard off, but she has this weird fear of loss. Hints at this PTC of her last relationship. He ITMs. He knows she's there for him. She comes off completely for TRR to Crystals, presents the fantasy suite card, and Caitlin tells him, I am completely falling in love with you. Love level three. Walls down. She's completed this story. And she agrees to go to the fantasy suite. They go in. They kiss a little bit. He pulls the shades and we're led to believe that there is a consummation here. Oh, by the way, Chris Souls love level three here as well. Said he was falling for her. She played this fantasy suite about as well as you can. She lowered a wall, raised a love level, accepted the fantasy suite, and we're led to believe again that they consummated. The only problem is she is simply outgunned by Becca Tilly here and she doesn't know it. Obviously, once you get to fantasy suites, at least in the modern game, it's very rare that you have any agency over other players' games. You don't even see them usually. Usually. Sometimes you do, as in PP season. There's only one example. <laughs> but Becca is playing this game that Caitlin has no idea about, which is the virginity game, which is the <laughs> emotionally distant game. And... Once they are all three standing at the fucking final rose ceremony after we've had all the fantasy suites, Caitlin is kind of blindsided. Chris Souls, just before handing out the roses, pulls Becca aside, has a conversation with her in which she's able to whip him into a little bit of a frenzy, say what she needs to say to get him to change his mind. She love level threes. Chris love level threes. And I really think in this moment, Caitlin was going to be final too, but it was just that yep. Becca Tilly pulled out this. She wasn't, in my mind, a strong player through the entire season until that moment. I was like, oh, fuck, she can do what she has to do. Given the opportunity, again, it was given to her on a silver fucking platter. She didn't pull him. He pulled her. And she's like, well, I guess I got to yeah. say some shit now. Had he not pulled her right there, I think Caitlin would have gotten this other rose and been through to the finals. But instead, we watch as Caitlin gets dismissed here and she goes out with a good amount of tears, confusion, embarrassment. And this, of course, sets her up for uh, her run with the crown, which is going to come the next season. Her face looks so heartbroken here. She sobs in Chris's arms. She sobs as she puts on her seatbelt in the exit car. She says, it's the most humiliating moment in my whole life. I'm really confused. The whole reason of putting my guard up was to deflect this feeling. And she insinuates, you know, I let down my walls. I did what the show told me to do, essentially. I maybe owed something. And at the Women Tell All, Caitlin gets the fifth hot seat, she talks about how it's hard to watch back. She can pinpoint the moment her heart broke. 
She says it was the most confident she ever felt in a rose ceremony. We had love level three. I think about this every day. Why didn't he give me one sign I wasn't this wasn't the one? She plays this victim card absolutely perfectly. DLH agrees with her. You gave him everything. Caitlin says, I tried to be authentic. I have humor, but it doesn't take away from who I am. It's nice to know I can feel, suggesting, hey, I can love again. Give me that opportunity. She says, I don't think I've ever been so blindsided. I was in love. She has a posthumous love level four raise here. It's about as clean of a bachelorette audition as you're going to get from anyone. She's implying praise for the process. I was in love. That means it worked. She can find love this way. She was blindsided. Victimhood. And she produces some tears. It's genuine. For anyone out there who gets to this level of the game and you find yourself on a women tell-all after making a deep run on The Bachelor, watch what she does in this hot seat. It's exactly mm-hmm. what you fucking do step for step. She makes no errors in this at all. Even when she questions Chris Souls, she does it in a way, she says, why didn't you do what you did with Becca? Why did you make me stand through that rose ceremony? I deserved respect victimizing herself again and she gets chris to apologize to her that moment where she gets the apology and, and basically says i demand respect it goes from victim to empowered and that is what all bachelorettes are that's that quality that they have that is like i'm the fucking bachelorette dude you can't do this shit to me and that's what we're seeing right now in fact with uh claire is trying to like just fucking go all in on that attitude and it's not quite working you need to have a good balance (laughs) but um caitlin really displayed every element that you need to be a bachelorette belief in the process victimhood empowerment and readiness to find love again unfortunately for her she's not able to be empowered as she would be in a standard season i do believe if they were choosing one bachelorette off the top it would have been her but they're choosing to do this night one curveball where there's two bachelorettes, Caitlin and Britt. They bring them both out after the final rose. And Caitlin brands them the tears and the laughs. And she makes these jokes in this little speech, even though it's kind of this humiliating position she's been put in. She says, well, that's not ideal. And jokes like, oh, let's put them through this. The after the final rose moment. Basically, then we go through the rest of the season. We get the after the final rose. And at the end of it, they allot five or 10 minutes to making both Britt and Caitlin come out, stand on the stage with DLH. They're both wearing similar kind of sparkly silver dresses. So they even are made to be like comparatively uh, the same to you visually. So it's like, who are you going to vote for? But DLH starts doing this thing like, come on, audience, who wants Britt? And you hear like some smattering of claps who wants caitlin like crowd cheering yeah it's so clear (laughs) it's clear from the beginning and we know ultimately that the guys on their season of bachelorette are going to have to vote for whoever they like but it's clear that caitlin is going to be that person and even as you're saying it's clear in her reactions she's the only one who's saying anything brit's just standing there and kind of smiling and blinking her eyes trying again to coast through on looks and manipulation and that ain't going to work to be bachelorette not when you're competing against Caitlyn fucking Bristow. Or anybody. I think Britt would have been a terrible bachelorette. She doesn't have the skills required. I loved this moment that Caitlyn brands them the laughs and the tears, pointing at herself for laughs and tears at Britt. Like, this is what you're going to get. Which one are you going to pick? Which one sounds better? Yeah, it's a 
an awkward moment to be put in. It's one that you're going to have to do if you want to claim that crown eventually. Obviously, you have to go out on that stage and let the Dark Lord fucking make jokes about you. But she takes the moment and uses it to her full advantage by doing exactly what you're saying. Putting that thing in the uh, audience's mind, in the fourth audience. You want to laugh or you want to fucking cry. And of course, she becomes Bachelorette, as we know. One of the most successful Bachelorettes in history. Her final Rose Quotient score for this entire season, I'll remind you, she had seven total roses, one point, two two points, and four fucking zero pointers, including three group date roses. Three fucking group date roses. I don't know if we've ever seen that. I think that may be, maybe she's been tied by someone. I don't know. We'll have to go back and look through the data, but that's insane. I think it's a record. And so her final rose quotient is fucking 1.4. Again, we're still tabulating. We're still hyper binging. We're still getting all of our data together in this process of essentially what we're doing is tabulating the stats from every play that's ever been made in the history of the game to really have a broad understanding of who is the best, objectively speaking. While we're in that process, this 1.4 is the lowest RQ that we've seen so far. Lower even than... uh what some are saying is the best player of all time, Nick Bial. He had a 1.77. Pretty good, but not quite. Yeah, she beats him in RQ, but not total roses, not total screen time. She was never on BIP. He has more game time than her, than anyone. Game time doesn't mean anything. The amount of games you play doesn't mean anything. Ask Chris Bukowski. What? (laughs) Okay. Chris Bukowski's been in every season and... (laughs) Doesn't have any following. By the way, just, I mean, looking at their postseason play, Nick Vial has a paltry 1.1 million followers. Caitlin has 1.8. It's almost twice as much as him. What are you talking about? They're both Nick in the 1 million six, club. It's almost twice. Uh, I mean... You round it. No. You round it by the million. I, I don't know if I she can give you almost one. twice. I don't know if that's accurate, but... The point is that she is crushing him in the parasocial game. We don't know the listenership numbers for their podcasts. We can get a glean of it. Nick Vile has 16,000 ratings on Apple Podcasts, and Caitlin has 17,000. She's beating him in almost every tool that we use to measure players. Would success. you say that she has double the ratings of Nick Vile? No. Oh, okay. So in some areas, you are willing to acquiesce to objective reality. Thank you. Yeah. <laughs> uh, she's released... Two songs that have charted in the top 10 on iTunes. Where's Nick Vial's songs? Nick Vial's not a singer. Nick Vial's an actor. Yeah, and what has he put into the world with his acting? That fucking Lifetime movie that was the worst thing I've ever seen in my entire life? He's been in several feature films, television shows, and commercials. I think that part of the reason that Caitlin is so much more successful than Nick Vial in the post game is that she's played the couples slash relationship game much better than Nick. She dated Sean Booth for years and grew her own momentum through them as a power couple. And now she's dating Jason Tardick doing the same thing. Nick, (laughs) how long did he date Vanessa? How dare you? A few months. I'm not. How dare I? Post game. These are facts. Yes. And post game does contribute to the overall mystique of our players and our beloved game of course but i'm talking about their play within game i think he is still better than her is just as important for your identity in the 
kind of history of it, yes. But I'm just talking about... Yeah, who's the best player in Bachelor Nation? I think it's Nick Vial still. I think it's Caitlin Bristow. I know. And this is the conversation we're going to have again until the day we die. The only other player that I think is in this category, and it's more because of historical significance so far, is Mary Delgado. The things she was able to accomplish in the early years of the game when it was in the experimental phase, to me, are still fucking astounding. And I think she is probably unbeknownst to herself responsible for the game we now have without her i don't think there is a caitlin bristow or a nick vial she was instrumental sure. in building a play style in building without the idea Alex of playing Michelle, it all there's neither of them either yeah but he didn't do anything he was just there he got cast i'm not saying that he's unimportant he certainly is because he showed us for the first time, how would a lead deal with dating all these people simultaneously? How would a lead kind of move through this situation? He certainly was instrumental, but Mary Delgado was doing things that changed the game. She invented the fucking hooju. The reason why I think, sure, Mary Delgado and Nick Vial are up there. The reason why I think Caitlin is the greatest player that we've ever had is because they are playing different games. And I look at what game each of them were playing Mary Delgado had zero competition. No one was playing the game back in season four and six. It it was very easy to blow everyone away. And I would kind of argue the same is true for Bachelorette. There's very few players. I mean, even the season we're watching with Claire, like, the guys aren't that good. I mean, we have Dale Moss, who, I mean, he's going to enter this conversation definitely because of what he's doing. but. The field is very sparse, and Caitlin was playing against such strong players, people who are household names today, Ashley I, Jade Roper, Becca Tilly. She blew them all away, became the bachelorette over all of those people. I'm not discounting any of that. I agree with everything you're saying. She's playing against a much tougher field against superstars. Nick Vial didn't. Nick Vial's biggest yeah. kind of competition was maybe Josh Murray. Sean Booth. Yeah, maybe. Like, yeah, exactly. I agree with you. There's no, there's no competition there. So what he did is less impressive. I don't agree because the things he did are so much more elevated. He crashed a season in episode four. He had sex outside fantasy suites. He got two second place finishes. So did Caitlin. BIP. I know. I, I'm not discounting that. But that's a different season also. We're talking about her rookie season. I'm talking about the play that he did. You're talking about all of Nick's seasons. Just the Bachelorettes and BIP. He had three seasons of play. I don't count his lead season. Yeah, and Caitlin had sex outside of Fantasy Suites in The Bachelorette. Right, when she was a lead. I'm not talking about Nick Vile's lead season. I'm talking about the two seasons he played of Bachelorette and BIP. Those are all just pure play. I mean, we won't get into it because it's not really the purview of this episode, but... The decision to have sex outside of fantasy suites was just as much Caitlyn's, and we don't see a lot of play from Leeds, and that was a huge play by Lead. Are you fucking kidding me? I'm taking nothing away from her, and I'm not even saying Are that it's like kidding? a big difference. I think they're very close in terms of their contribution yeah. to the game and in terms of their level of skill playing to all the audiences. I think Caitlyn is a four-audience player. That is extremely rare. I don't... Yes. Even know if we've seen someone, especially ascend to that level of it. I would argue maybe Hannah Brown is in that category. Yeah. 
Definitely Nick Vile is not. Nick Vile is a two-audience player, but he's a very <laughs> strong two-audience player. I just think what he did at the time he did it, I mean, Caitlin was kind of around the same time. They're both entering the game when Instagram is emerging, when Bachelor in Paradise is emerging. The confluence, by the way, of Bachelor in Paradise and Instagram both happening at roughly the same time really have put this game in its current version, in what I would say is the Instagram era, because you're now getting the secondary goal that's not just the ring or the crown. You could be a lead, you could win the fucking ring, but now there's also this other thing that if you're single when you come out of your first season of play, you can get on fucking Bachelor in Paradise. You can have a whole other season yeah. of screen time, walk out of that, maybe with a Jade Roper, maybe with a Carly Waddell. Ashley, I, I mean, we saw three BIP powerhouses come out of this Chris Soul season. It's If you guys haven't watched it, go back and watch it because it's fucking glorious. At any rate, we could literally talk about this forever. Yeah. <laughs> Suffice it to say, Caitlin Bristow... No, two hours in. <laughs> Caitlin Bristow is an all-star she is one of the greatest players to ever live. I And like we're saying, I put her in the top three with Nick Vial and Mary Delgado. And these are the types of conversations that are at some point subjective. We can compare their numbers all day long, but there's just this intangible Which thing. Caitlin's numbers are all better, but yeah. They're not all better. Total roses, total screen time, BIP. Okay. <laughs> she never was on BIP. He has a whole season of it. That he went to the yeah, end of it. She's better than Bep. <laughs> okay. She's better than Nobody's Bep. better than BIP, first of all. She has way more followers than Nick for only two seasons, and he has like 10 She's also a woman. Still doesn't have as many. Women categorically have more followers than men. Again. I'm sure there's some objective metric we can apply to that, something that evens it. Anyway, I'm just saying she's definitely great, definitely in the top three. She is our second ever All-Star episode right after Nick Vial. It was a true pleasure to watch this season and watch her perform through it. I mean, thank you, Caitlin. Yes, we praise you, Caitlin Bristow. We speak your name and we wish you well <laughs> in the coming years of New America. We hope you still have your Canadian citizenship so that you can escape if necessary. And mm -hmm. thank you all for listening once again. Yeah, thank you for doing this deep deep dive into the pit we will be having more deep dives for you every other week here on our patreon we thank you all for joining us in the deepest parts of the pit we have some other special things planned in the very near future our next live video presentation which will be coming at the end of november is going to be very interesting and it may have something to do with the dark seasons we might be taking a trip into the darkness together if I can figure out some technical things. So <laughs> thank you. <for> that. <laughs> we hope that you'll stick around for it. And before we go, what's the dwab at? It has been 6,795 days without a black bachelor. Praise be Lord Harrison. It's Barb from The Bachelor. I know that you love me. Your friends at the pit, oh my goodness, they reached out to me also to let me know how much they really, really care for you and to say hello from all of them. This is a true, true blessing to be everyone together at the pit. So, hello from the pit. Uh, hello from the pit. Hello from the pit. Get ready to watch more Bachelor. I know that you love me. Love, love, love me. 
everyone together at the pit. This is a true, true blessing, a true, true blessing, a true, 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 true. Your friends at the pit, your friends at the pit, your friends at the pit. Watch more Bachelor. I know that you love me. Love, love, love me. Everyone together at the pit.